I wonder if any of you have been either on holiday or maybe on a trip or business or something uh, somewhere else in the world where you have had the opportunity to uh, buy clothing at a very, very cheap price. Maybe it was jewellery. Maybe it was something. Maybe it was sunglasses. And, uh, and we, we are privileged and fortunate enough we, we go to Spain most summers and uh, there's a particular place where we go to where there are a number of restaurants we go to eat and the children especially really love to go there because they get to uh, peruse amongst uh, quality items sold by what are known as the looky-looky men. And, uh, and, uh, and late at night, they're not supposed to, it's illegal, it cracks me up, it's illegal, everyone knows it happens. And they spread out this year's football shirts and uh, whatever it might be, and, uh, and people are invited, I never do it by the way, I never buy fake stuff, I just like to, well unknowingly, uh, it's happened a couple of times by mistake. I thought I was getting a really good deal until those trainers fell apart. But, um, <laughs> but uh, it is, it's possible to buy fake stuff. Or as our friend Nicole from uh, Coleraine likes to call it, she calls it thick, egg stuff. Anyone, any fakers here? You're a bit of a faker, are you? Do you want to say it in the microphone? How would you say it? Come on. Oh, come on. <laughs> She's lost her North Coast accent from all <laughs> Belfast. Come on, come on, give us a, give us a fake. Fake. Fake, fake. So fake or a more grown-up word, counterfeit. Counterfeit goods. Let's take us to the Bible. That would be a good place to go. Matthew 24. The context of Matthew 24 is Jesus... Is, uh, has arrived into Jerusalem. It is uh, days before the cross, and he's taking time with his disciples and with anyone that will listen. And he's beginning to uh, kind of the, the last moments of, of, of important information uh, that he wants to, to to tell others. There at the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives is this incredible place where I've had the privilege of being to as a, as a nineteen-year-old in my gap year. Uh, the Mount of Olives now is just a, it's just a whole massive cemetery uh, uh, of, of people who have been laid to rest. And there's this valley that you look down and then up and you see the whole of Jerusalem there before you. It's a fairly close proximity. It's a very short walk. And uh, Jesus is there with his disciples, with his listeners. And, uh, and he's talking about end times. He's, he's warning, he's forewarning of end times, the time that will come when Jesus will return someday. He's also preparing his disciples for a time when Jesus himself, literally, physically, in physical form, will not be with the disciples anymore. And he's in so doing it, so to help us that a time and our lifetimes that we have spent where Jesus is not physically present with us. And Jesus talks about end times and he he says, uh, he, he describes the sign of the times, that we would be looking to the signs of the times, that there would be wars, that there'd be rumours of war, there'd be natural disasters, international conflict and famine, all these things that we see before us. We, we switch on the news, it's there, there very much before us. And during this time, 
during this conversation that Jesus is talking with his disciples there, he warns them and he warns us of fakes, of counterfeits. He begins here in Matthew 24, verses 4 and 5. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. And like a good teacher that he was, he's a brilliant teacher. If he, a teacher wants to make a point, they say it more than once and he says it twice. And so later in the same chapter, 24 uh, verses 23 and 25, very similar, we read this. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear. They'll perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect, which means us. See, I have told you in advance. Now these words, I think we can uh, use to say that it goes beyond the David Ikes of this world. If you don't know who he was, he was uh, someone, a sports presenter that claimed to be Messiah. And many others have come and gone claiming literally themselves to be Messiah, to be son of God, to be uh, a righteous, a holy person, and to come follow me and to come worship me. There have been many, many individuals in there, probably some today, and there will probably be more to come. But I think we can go beyond just the individuals when we talk about uh, falseness uh, and, uh, and counterfeits. Because the enemy comes in all kinds of guises. The enemy loves to come dressed up himself and make himself like God. And he uses godly, incredible stuff that God gives us. That we would pour our attention so much into those things which God's given us that we make them idols and gods themselves. And the enemy uses these things to create a counterfeit uh, religion or a counterfeit relationship with God himself. And those things, they can be pursuits, they can be interests, they can be people, they can be practices. And like I've said, some of them can actually be really good things and God things. But not necessarily the real thing. Post-COVID, this journey that we've been journeying together, resilient, uh, seeking to be resilient in what is still a very turbulent time. As we live post-COVID, as we've just suffered a global trauma, uh, had the privilege uh, of meeting John Eldridge, who is a real hero of mine, uh, who wrote the book that we've been sort of covering. And uh, on Thursday lunchtime, got to meet John. And... Uh, I, 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 at the end of his session, as he was teaching, I went up to the front. I said, uh, hi, my name's Paul. Uh, I have the privilege. I, I lead a church in Carrickfergus. And I just want you to know that the stuff that you've written over the years, and most recently, the book on Resilient, has been so helpful. And, and in fact, I'm going to be honest with you, John. I'm actually taking the best of it, and I'm, I'm sharing it with our church. But I want you to know that I'm crediting you and I'm not plagiarizing you and making it my own, making myself look really good. And I said, Paul, just plagiarize away. Just take the best and just run with it. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And so we have looked at various things. We remember that we are searching for Eden. We're searching for life to be good again. 
and a desperate attempt for life to be good and satisfying and free from struggle and free from angst and free from turmoil and anxiety and the fear of energy crisis and we don't have a government and, and what, what, what navigating our world and our lives right now is really, really testing for us. And we, the people of God, we're striving to, to remain faithful and to cling on to him. But if we're really honest, many of us um, have struggled and have been tempted to literally tap out to get out, to throw in the towel and walk away. I began this series on uh, September the 25th on that Sunday. And uh, during that time, I, I made myself quite vulnerable and I, I shared with you, I said, especially in the summertime, uh, leading into the summer, there were moments that I had when I was leading and when I was just walking or limping with the Lord that there were moments, there were temptation, fleeting moments where, where I, I just had these thoughts of, oh, is it really worth it? And really close to just jacking it all in. That was really inspiring for you that morning, wasn't it? <laughs> and you know, uh, I was really astounded by uh, people's response, your response to me. I mean, no one ever says, says things to me after I've spoken anymore. I'm just assuming it's brilliant every week. It's, it's a bit like that thing of when the husband and wife get married and the wife, 20 years later, says, you don't tell me I love you. And I say, well, I told you I loved you when we were dating. I'll let you know if it changes. So I'm just going from that default thing of... But after that Sunday, that's not an invitation out of insecurity, by the way, to say, come, pat me on the back, and all that, it's not. So many of you came up afterwards and empathised, and, and I think that in what I'd said, it was similar to the way you had felt as well. But we must not. We must not throw in the towel. We must not tap out. We must tune in. We must press in. If nothing else today and in these weeks, hear this. Tune in to him. It's all about him. It's not rocket science. You don't need a theology degree to talk about this stuff or to live this stuff. It's all about tuning in and abiding in him. The vine, the true one, the giver of life, the one who gives us meaning, the one who um, gives us purpose. This world was set up and designed by him and revolves around him and only truly works and functions in a functional, not dysfunctional way when we tune into him and we read his word and we live by his word. May we not trade in. May we not settle for a fake or pursue other things. Other things that might look like God, that might feel like God, but might give us a sense of what we're longing for deep in the core of our souls. May we not trade him in for something else. Permit me, please, to share another running story. Oh, good, there weren't any groans, not even from Catherine. I have noticed over the years 
how people that get into running gain incredible satisfaction from it. Could be weight loss, could be feeling good about themselves, could be meeting new people, could be when they do that first event and they cross the line, think, goodness, I thought I could never do that. That sense of achievement and accomplishment, the discipline that's required to get out, even when it's raining, even when it's windy, the physical, the social, the mental, the emotional benefits, and for some, the spiritual benefits of being in the wild and being in nature sense of purpose. Do you see where I'm going? Do you see the, those things? And for, very often I've said, I've said, I'm using the phrase of the chapter that I'm sort of focusing on from the book. It's like the kingdom without the king. There's so much of the kingdom wrapped up in that one pursuit that I've described. But if we do it without acknowledging the king and bringing the king, it's like creating our own kingdom, but without the king. And we could, we could say the same about so many other things, other pursuits. But if we make them the thing, then it becomes idolatry. Could be joining the gym. Could be other fitness things. It could be interests. It could be other godly or good things that God gives us and invites us into, like moving house. Could be changing our career. Could be entering into a new relationship. But if God is not in it, don't do it. Don't do it. If God is not at the center of the choice that we're making, just don't do it. Where is it coming from? What's driving it? Otherwise, we just make kingdoms out of things and out of stuff and out of pursuits. But we don't place him, the king, at the very center of it. Of course, there's way more obvious, way more destructive pursuits that we can choose in order to make life feel good again, to be good again, to give us that, 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 that thing within us that's yearning for life, that's yearning for purpose, that's yearning for fulfillment. The use of pornography, the misuse of alcohol, Purchasing stuff, the use of drugs, wrong relationships, all of those things giving a fleeting moment of, 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 of feeling good or, or whatever it might be. I read this uh, quote, every addiction is a misplaced prayer. Folks, we're living in a moment of time, a junction in our lifetimes. Where will we go? To whom will we uh, go to to satisfy our yearnings, our deep longings, our desires. Where are we searching for life to be good again? Will we trade it in for a fake, for a counterfeit, something that might even seem like it's God, but he's not really there and we know it? Or will we dig in? Will we take this opportunity where life is raw, where it's difficult, where there's still so much just swirling around and dig in and pursue him and find him in the midst of the difficulty. Our Sam, our eldest son, who's now 19, can we believe that, is in Australia right now. Huh? And he's watching. Oh, hello, son. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? 
and he's given me permission to share this. Uh, many of you, 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 you know Sam, and you love him, and we love you for loving him and our other children. Um, Sam's on an adventure this year, he's, he's a gap year, and he's in Australia, he's been there for two months, and he's living with, uh, with Tommy Wade's son, Chris, who we're incredibly uh, grateful to him and Joe. And it's working for Chris. And, and many of you have asked for us, you know, how's he getting on? And we tell you all the good stuff. And uh, for some of you who we know uh, better, we say, and it's been difficult. And uh, this is the bit that he's given me permission to share with you. It's, it's not been plain sailing. There's been some difficult moments for him. There's some times where he feels lonely, when actually he, he just wants a hug from us wants to connect with us and you can understand that it's a big deal to be away at that age as well and what do you think as a father my default thing is to want to say to him when he's saying that to me a parent what's our response to that as parents even if you're not a parent you want to say it's all right son and you want to start especially dads we probably do this more than mums we want to help him make life good again, don't we? And part of me is like, oh, son, go down to the beach. Go and ring that person. Why don't you go out for a beer with that guy that you've got to know from church? Why don't you go? And, and, and I'm so tempted. I haven't done that, by the way. I'm, but my default, my temptation is to say to him, go and do something that's going to make it all right. It's going to make you feel good again. Because you feel really, really lonely right now. And those things in themselves are not wrong. They're all good suggestions if I was giving them to him. But actually, I'm trusting that in the hardship he finds Jesus to a deeper level himself. And I remind him just really briefly, and I've said to you guys so many times, my university times. Don't moan and groan, please. I know I've said it a gazillion times. It was a lonely experience. And it forced me to my knees. And it forced me to carve out a deep, personal, intimate relationship with Jesus through loneliness, through time that I had. I just said, son, remember, you, you heard me say that before. This is a moment. It's through hardship, it's through difficulty. If we choose to make him the king of our lives, we can have some sweet moments and a depth inside of us. Instead of running to all manner of pursuits, some of them good and godly, but if we make them the thing, the main thing, then we miss the king in the moment as well. Two weeks ago, we had an all-age service here. It was fabulous. We're wanting to do those probably once, twice a term, to have moments when we're all in the room together, all ages. And that is for all ages. Please don't think, oh, it's a lovely little thing that we're doing for the children. It is for all ages, whether you have children, or not. We invite you still to come and you will know from the ones that we've had that it is for all ages. 
Laura and her team did an incredible job. They took the passage from Matthew 7, and I want to briefly, as we come into land, remind ourselves of that. It's known to many of us as the wise and foolish builders, and it's at the very end of what we know as the Sermon on the Mount, which is chapters 5 through to 7 of Matthew's Gospel. We read, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, the words of his were the preceding words from the Sermon on the Mount. Please go read them. When we hear those words that Jesus spoke, and we put them into practice, we are like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. When the rain comes, when the streams rise and the winds blow and beat against that house, it will not fall because its foundation is on the rock. Where are we building? How are we building? It's not rocket science. I want to do something that um, John did with us yesterday. Uh, seven of us, seven men from our church were at uh, Money uh, Church uh, yesterday for a, a men's day. Um, it was a Saturday. It's like triple time for me. I didn't get paid by it. I actually paid my own money. 600 men in this room together. It was an incredible time. Like, incredible. You want to hear the worship. All male voices just given at Dixie. It was amazing. Absolutely incredible. John ended with this practice, and I'm going to do it with us because I thought it was brilliant. So simple. Simple message. God invites us to have union with him. Union. A sense of oneness with him. In him, through him, in everything, in every part of our lives. And he invited us to do what I'm asking you to do, is to uh, put our hands into the prayer position. Can we all do that? I know some of us don't like being told what to do, so I'm inviting you to do that. And none of us really pray like this anymore, but uh, it's kind of the children's way of praying. And now take our hands and kind of interlock them like so. And in this uh, position, just want you to grip them really tightly. You might see the colour of your knuckles change and whiteness and red. And hold it really tightly like this. And use this analogy. I want you to picture, imagine yourself. You're on a rock face. And you're below. And you've got a friend above you. And one of your hands is one of your hands. And the other hand is the hand of the person above you. And you'd grip it tightly if you thought you were going to fall. And you'd hold on tightly to that friend above you. It's going to lift you up. And holding our hands in that position. 
That's what union is like. So in this moment, Spirit of the Lord, enable us to have union with you. We're just going to wait upon the Lord. Just wait upon him. Now take your hands and just place them before the Lord. So if you're going to receive, you're receiving now from him. feeling anxious or fearful have union with him <laughs> if you're pondering a life changing decision have union with him there in your marriage Invite God to have union with you both there. With your family members. Have union with him there. In work. That annoying person. medical decision, that uncertainty, God is inviting you to have a union 